love forces us to do something with that love. When you love, you just can't sit and soak in that love. You have to respond out of it. And it's been pretty clear that John has been a straight shooter. Uh, I like John. Uh, he, he challenges me. He rebukes me. He corrects me, instructs me. Um, he says things that, are, uh, that, that aren't laced with um, flowery truths. He just kind of, this is the way to live. And if you're not living this way, then uh, you're not living the way that God wants you to live. Uh, I, I'm motivated by those kind of teachers. Uh, I, I appreciate when someone speaks into my life clearly. Um, and so it doesn't make it muddy. It doesn't make it confusing for me. He says, here it is. Go do it. Um, and so uh, he inspires me. Uh, John and I probably would have butted heads a few times. Um, just personalities, very similar. Um, but he, he, he laces it with love and truth and grace. And he made a profound difference in our world. And be quite frank, he still is. Uh, God used him in, in a great way. So love forces us to do something. And John stresses over and again, I mean, over and over again, it is impossible. And I'll use the word impossible to say we love God without loving one another. And the world will love God if they see us loving one another. Like, the world needs to see Christ followers loving one another. Like, why would anyone who doesn't know God want the God that we love if they see us not loving one another? I mean, why? What, 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 what would motivate? So when you see love, you never forget it. Like, when you see a, a, a real demonstration of love, you never forget it, and it causes you to ask the question, how can someone love that way? Like, what motivated them to love that way? So when you witness love in an unusual way, you find yourself pulling away. And John's saying the world needs to see that kind of love because when they see it, they ask the question, what causes you to love that way? Take a look at this video and let it impact your life on an example of love. How easy it is for us to forget what it was like when we were once family. The times we shared. How easy it is for us to forget. How to love. it is for us to forget how to smile. It's easy to forget. But it's even harder not to love.
爸妈。食饭，仔食饭。Family is forever. When you witness love like that, hopefully you took time to witness that. It changes the way you respond to that person. It forces you to ask a question: What inspired that kind of love? What was it that motivated that person to love that way? John is going to give us a clear example today in Scripture, and he's going to tell us this truth that we can't call ourselves Christians and be reflectors of that light and stand in, in a posture that we are mirrors and reflect and say we love God yet hate our brothers and sisters. It is impossible. Listen to me: impossible, impossible to call yourself a Christ follower if you hate a brother and sister. John says. It's impossible to say I love God, and I'm a Christ follower. You have to ask the question: Am I a Christ follower if I hate a brother and sister? Love marks us out. It defines us. It it, it distinguishes us. It, it's different. It's it's other than like it pushes us outside of ourselves and said, "This is who I am because I have a God that loves me unconditionally, and my God is love. Therefore, the world will know we are His disciples if we love one another." Grab your Bibles, and we're going to go on a really difficult journey today to ask some hard questions. And I want you to turn to the book of First John, chapter three, and we're going to read verses eleven to fifteen to start. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand and turn to your mobile devices and and turn to First John chapter three, and we're going to read verses eleven to to fourteen to open up this morning or fifteen. Would you stand with me and we'll read it together when you find it? First John chapter three verses eleven through fifteen. First John chapter three. Love marks us out. It defines us. It distinguishes us, and it says who we are and who we love. Let's read First John chapter three, verses eleven through fifteen. Would you read it with me? Ready? Read. For this is the message you heard from the beginning: we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. You may have a seat. John's pretty frank here, and he says this, and I, I just repeat his words: the opposite of love is hate. Jesus made it clear, even in the Sermon on the Mount and his teachings, that if we hate our brothers, we are guilty. Listen to me: murder, murder. When you hate a brother or sister, you are a murderer. That's what the Word of God says. And so, the moment you cross over, the moment you take one person, love ten, and there's this one person that you choose to hate—that's a brother or sister. John says, Jesus says, you and I are murderers. See, in our mind, we define murder as someone who takes and takes a life, knocks it out. It's clear. Yet Jesus raised the bar. He didn't reduce the law. He he raised the law of the Old Testament, and he said, "I expect even more out of a New Testament Christian than I did out of an Old Testament poor Christian." By saying, "I am going to raise it," if you even have this anger towards, even if you hate, you are the same as a murderer. And then he gives us an example: we murder with our words. And he says, "Don't be like Cain who killed Abel." And by the way, how tragic was that? Adam and Eve have children, the first two children that they have, first parent on planet Earth, very first parent. They give birth, Cain and Abel. Cain grows up; he hates his brother Abel because Abel's doing all these righteous things, and so Cain kills his brother. The first sibling group on planet Earth 
there was a murder that was committed. And John is saying, we are no different than Cain when we choose to hate a brother. Jesus said it this way. Listen to this in Matthew 5. He said this, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry, listen to that phrase, Anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. I'm not making this up. John says, and Jesus says, anyone who even has anger towards a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly calls a brother idiot. You just might find yourselves hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister. And you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. Jesus didn't mince his words either. And so the question we have to ask this day, are there people that we have formed opinions against that we hate? And John says, guess what? You cannot have the love of Christ in you if you hate a brother and sister. You are the same as a murderer. Have you considered that, John says? Like, have you ever thought of yourself as a murderer? No, Pastor John, I know what a murderer is. Someone pulls guns, someone shoots, someone does this, someone runs, someone does, you know, kills, takes the life. Listen, he says, you're, you can murder with, with the way you treat someone. John has been very frank in this letter. You hate a brother, then you better ask yourself whether or not you are a Christ follower. I have witnessed more hate from brothers and sisters who call themselves Christians than I have non-Christians on many, many, many occasions. And John is saying, and Jesus is saying, when you hate a brother or sister, you are a murderer. See, those are hard words, aren't they? Like, I didn't consider when I woke up today and ate my Cheerios that I was a murderer. But the truth of the matter is, that's what we are when we hate a brother or sister. God doesn't look lightly upon this either. And I cringe to think what his response is to it right now in lives of people who have chosen to hate brothers and sisters. Like, listen to me. You better take inventory, John said. You, you better take inventory because God's response to, to that, I, I cringe to think, a holy, righteous God. Like, and so we go out to him and say, oh, God, I love you. God, God, do this for me. God, do that for me. God, God, look, look at my life, God. And meanwhile, we're hating a brother. He say, wait a minute. How in the world can you love me? How in the world can you say you are a Christ father? How will the world ever know that God is loved and you are my disciples if you murder people daily? Cain's always hate Abel's too, by the way, even non-believers. Abel's are always surprised by that hate. Like, you see, here's the reality. You want truth? The way we truly feel about people determines how we will treat them. Each one of us today have already made a decision on how you will treat others before you've even given them a chance to respond. Let, let, let me explain. All of us have formed opinions. You have a formed opinion about me. You have a formed opinion about your workmate. You have a formed opinion about a colleague. You have a formed opinion about formed opinion about a teacher. You have a formed opinion about a coach. You have a formed opinion about a father, a mother, a friend, a neighbor. You, you, you form opinions. We form opinions. So even today, right now, you have formed opinions. That just, just for sake of illustration, what if I just brought up 10 people, lined them up. You know them. They're, they're somehow part of your life. Maybe they work with you. Maybe they're boss. Maybe they're a friend. Maybe they're a sister. Maybe they're a mom and dad. Maybe you're their pastor. And you brought them all up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And they all stood. And I asked you, come on up. You know these 10 people. Immediately, immediately, John says, that you have already formed an opinion about them. And so regardless of what they do, regardless of what they're about to say, regardless about how they're about to respond to you, you have formed an opinion in your mind how you'll receive what they're going to say, how you'll receive what they're about to give, how you'll respond to it. And John is saying, no matter, literally, if they all came up here, all 10 of them, and they just decided out of the love of their heart that they would write you a check for $1,000, like all 10 of them, like $1,000 in your name. And they tore it out of their checkbook, and they hand it to you. Every single one of us has 
to realize that the opinions that we formed about people will cause us to respond in such a way. You might say, well, thank you very much. Like, I knew that this was, you were capable of doing this. And someone else said, I don't want your money. Like, I I don't want that thousand dollars because you're just doing that because you're trying to win me back over. And John is saying, be careful of the opinions that you form of people, especially brothers and sisters. If you formed opinions of hate against them, you are a murderer. So who'd you murder this morning? Who are you murdering right now? The way we feel about people determines how we will treat them. In fact, John says this in verse 14. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, we, Christ followers, know that we have passed from death to life because we what each other? Love each other. Anyone who does not what? Love remains in death. He's saying this, that we have this relationship with God, and because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we, we don't, when we die, we don't end up in hell. We end up in heaven. And based upon that, the fact is this, when we love, we're living out what we already know is true. God lives in us, and we love him. One translation says this in verse 14. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know very well that eternal life and murder don't go together. So how do we hate people? Like, like, like what's, how do we practically play that? Say, Pastor Jim, all right, how do I know? Like, what's the gauge? Like, how do I know this morning if I woke up and I was hating. How do I know if I'm going to, I've been hating someone in the workplace? How do I know if I've been hating my classmates? How do I know if I've been hating my teacher? How do I know if I've been hating my pastor? How do I know if I've been, been hating a colleague? How do I know if I've been hating a business colleague? How do I know if I've been hating mom and dad? How do I know if I've been hating my kids? How do I know if I've been hating my neighbor? Well, there are ways that we hate. Here are some practical ways that is hate. Like, no other way. It's just, it's hate. And hate equates to murder. You shut people out. Either them physically or their voice. Like, you just shut them out completely. Like, you just, you, you, like, I, I don't even want to listen right now. Like, like, like I, I don't want anything at all from you. And, and, and you're not open to somehow, somehow down the road, like reconciliation. You're not even making an effort to. You haven't made an effort to. And you just shut them out completely. That's how you hate someone. Or you only find what is wrong with them. Like, we form opinions. Like, and so your, your, your first default system when you see someone, but yeah, 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 but did you hear about this? Like, you're, you, you have this tendency or propensity just go right to everything that's wrong with them. Well, when he leads, he does that. And when she leads, she does that. And, when, and it's like you have this tendency to point out all their faults. Like the only thing you can think about is what they do wrong. Listen, that's called hate. And John says the love of God's not in you. Or you hold things against them. When the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, through Paul, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, love keeps no records of wrongs. You hold things against them. Like, you formed an opinion. Remember, there's 10 people? Like, if, if they all wrote a check, if you formed an opinion against them, in your mind, you're holding, if, if, you, if you don't receive what they're giving you the same way, with the same response, then what John is saying, you, you're holding something against them. And when love keeps record of wrongs, guess what? You're hating. Or you would never consider agreeing with something they say. Just never. I didn't say all things, but never consider. Or you purposely make it a point to not cross their path. Or you talk poorly about them. Or you would dare never give them credit. Or you would never praise an effort on their behalf. Like, even if if they they scaled the mountaintop to, to try to show you that they love, you would never, ever, ever praise them for that. That's called hate. Or you assume the worst about them instead of giving them the benefit of the doubt. Like, Okay, there's those 10 people. (laughs) Let me tell you, like, there's something else here. There's an agenda. And right away you go to that agenda. Listen, that's called hate. Or you limit your ability to see them like they really are. Or 
you delight in their pain. You might not ever tell anybody, but their business fails, and you're like, yeah. Or they're unemployed. Yeah, the time they suffer. Or their kid gets sick. It's about time. Or their business flops. Oh, yeah. Or their church flops. Oh, it's about time he faces that. That's called hate. That's called murder. So whether you realize it or not, John says that each day, if you're doing this, you're becoming a better murderer and kill a piece of yourself and them every single day. See, here's what we do, though. Here's what we say. Like, well, it's not real bad, Pastor Jim. Like, you know, it's, it, I love, like, most of, most of the people I love. Like, but there's just, you know, you don't really know. No, I don't. But God does. And, and through his word, he said you should love him. So here's what happens. The second you begin to let a root of bitterness, the second you get to let a root of a wrong, the second you begin to let a root of resentment, the second you begin to let a root of sin surface about that person, the very second, now listen, the first thought that you act upon, John is saying that's called hate, and guess what? You are on the tracks of murdering someone. In our house, we have um, a, a train set. In Christmas time, we like to bring it out. And, and I just, I, I want to give you an analogy today. So you, you have a train track. In order for the train to run properly, it has to get on the tracks. If it's not on the tracks, then it doesn't run correctly. And so there are tracks that trains run on. And John is saying this, that once you set yourselves on the track of hate, where, where, where you, you just have a root of, of resentment. You just have a root of hatred. You just have a, a root or a formed opinion of. The second that, 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 that you get yourself on that track, this is the track of murder. Like, you don't have to, have to do much to go there, but the second, you know what? And you know where this ends up. It's not like a murderer like, wakes up one day and says, you know what? Prior to that point, he's been loving. And one day he just wakes up, I'm going to murder someone today. Bam. There's something in his life or her life where, where there's this pattern. There, there's been this behavior. There's been these roots of, of, of sin that, that started somewhere. Like somewhere it began. And because they never got off the tracks, it led. It led to this path of, of murder. But John is saying, no matter how far you are on these tracks, if you're on the tracks, you're a murderer. And some of us, you know, we, oh my goodness. Not only are we on the track, but we got, we, we got, we got some, some cars behind us. I mean, we're pulling five or I mean, if I had enough room here, I mean, we, we'd bring out the whole Whole, whole, whole caboose and everything. It's like, just line them up, bring it up. And, and, and some of us, you know, no, not only are we doing that, we can think of individuals like, oh, that person and that person and that person and that person. And John is saying this. Anyone who calls themselves a follower of Christ and the spirit of God lives in them and their God is love doesn't belong on these tracks. And if you are, then you got to ask the question, am I a Christ follower? So let me ask you a personal question. Are you on the tracks or are you off the tracks? Well, Pastor Jim, you don't know what they did to me. No, 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 I don't. But I know that we're supposed to forgive. And I know what forgiveness does. You know what forgiveness does? It unlocks you. It frees you up to get off the tracks. But some of us like the track, and you just like to parade. Hey, I'm coming through town. Let me tell you everything I know about these people. John's saying, no, 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 no. If you're a Christ follower, you don't belong in those tracks. You see, hate is too easy. It takes courage to love and get off the tracks. It takes a strong man or woman to get off the tracks. It, it's easy to jump on. I mean, the train's moving. Just jump on, baby. Let me, let me bring them along with me. And John's saying, no, 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 no. It takes courage to get off the track and take the high road away from the tracks. 
I think we need to stick to love because hate is too much of a weight to carry, isn't it? I mean, after a while, it's like, I mean, if you keep carrying all these relationships around, and all these wrongs, you know, you got, you got them all listed, and you've been keeping this record, and you've got all kinds of trains hooked up. It's like, man, after a while, that's just, that's hard, isn't it? Like, you wake up weary because not only is it affecting them, but it's affecting you. So daily, day by day, you know what you're doing? You've locked yourself in these prisons, and, and all day long, you're trying to get out of these prisons, and, and this weight and the burden of hate and anger just beats you up. And John's saying, wait a minute. Do you think the world will be won to Christ by watching you parade your hate around in our world? Booker T. Washington said this regarding hate. He says, I will not permit no man to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him. I will not permit no man to narrow and degrade my soul by making me hate him. Paul had some words to say, too, in uh, 1 Corinthians regarding love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, he said this. If I speak with human elegance and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. And it's annoying, isn't it? So are your hinges creaky, rusty, annoying? And you say, oh, I love God. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. What's marking you right now? Like, what's marking you out? Are there people in your life that you find yourself wishing ill will on? And you go out of your way to push them out, to expose them? John's saying, listen to me, listen, I'm I'm not saying it, John's saying. It is impossible to love God and hate a brother or sister. Impossible, impossible, impossible. In fact, Paul said it this way, just, just listen to this. Paul said this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Paul said this, he said, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Like, holy cow, it's like, I just feel like we just need to stop and let's just repent for the next 40 minutes, huh? Maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe. Yeah, I have this feeling that maybe, just maybe, that, that's why your relationship's all screwed up. Because you refuse to give over. You, you like riding on the tracks with that boss and that husband. And you, you, you just, you, like, you enjoy it. But here's the problem. It is ruining your life. And it is ruining your witness. And John says, a person who calls themselves a Christ follower and refuses to love their brother and sister has to ask the question, does the love of God live in me? And if you choose to hate, you are a murderer. It's not an option to love, John goes on. Look at verse 16 here. It's not an option to love. Look at verse 16. He says this, this is how we know what love is. Like, I mean, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we, what's the word? Ought, well, follow along with me. And we, what? Ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And then he tenderly addresses them. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Look again at verse 16. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives. In other words, we can't pick and choose which brothers we will love. If he's a brother and she's a sister, then we ought ought to. I remember in seminary taking communication classes and, 
in preaching classes that I took. And I remember my professor there who, who did a phenomenal job, great, great communicator. And I remember going through a season of him instructing us about how to communicate with people that you love. And he said this to us. I'll never forget this. We're in class one day, and he said this, Jim. He said, the minute you use the word ought in a sermon, like, you ought to do this. Or the minute you, as a brother, go to another brother and say, you know what, you ought to do that. Or the minute you go to your wife and say, you know what, baby, you ought to do this. The minute we use the word ought, he said, in the room that you're in, he said, immediately, 50% of the people will shut you down because they don't like to be told what to do. And he said, 90% of those 50% are men. Now, can I get an amen from men on that? Oh, come on, chickens. Can I get an amen? It's our sin nature. And, and, you know, you can flower it up and, and dress it up however you want. It's called pride. We don't like to be told what to do. And we like to be the originators of what to do. Like, we don't like someone thought something that we should be doing, like, you know, and you know in the back of your mind, you know what, that's a really good idea. Like, I, I should be doing that. Like, and you know what, but we won't do it just because we didn't think about it first. And we don't want to give that other person credit that's spoken to our life and sharpen us to consider that because in our minds, that lifts them up and pushes us down. Now, John says, hey, listen, I didn't say this. John said it inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is God, says we ought to love like Christ loved and lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So who are our brothers and sisters? Well, it's just not Grace Community. It's all over the world. I mean, every time I read a report or see a video of what's happening to our brothers and sisters in Iraq, it disturbs me. Like, I want to be on the next jet to Iraq. I, I don't care. I want to be there. I, I, like, I want to just say, hey, God is real. We love you. We, like, we see what's happening. And I want to let you know that, that we know, that we care, that, that we're here with you. We will stand with you. When I look across this room, I wonder if we would be willing to lay down our lives for each other. I want you to do something. Just, just turn around and look at who all is in the service today. Just some of you, you've been coming to church together for three years and didn't realize it. Just take a second. And if you're in the back, just stand up and wave. Say, hey, I'm here. Here, here I am. Come on. Can I get a, can I get a couple of witnesses back? Anybody back there? There we go. Look at that. There. there they are. Now, let me just ask you a personal question. Would you be willing to die for someone that you just met, that you just found out that's a brother and sister? Like, would that even, like, be on your radar screen? Or you say, no, I got to get to know them. Like, we need relationship. Like, like we need, to, like, they need to, like, give me, like, like Pastor Mike received, like, three dozens of rise and rolls. Then I'll consider it. Like, then, then, and, and then and only then. Like, like, why would I die for someone, give my life for someone that I've, I, I've never met before? Because John says, that's your brother. That's your sister. And here's the other thing, by the way. If we can't love each other now, what are we going to do in eternity when they're going to be your neighbor? Like, you better get used to getting along. John said, you better get used to loving because we're going to spend eternity together loving each other and loving our God. And, and it wouldn't surprise me at all. That person that, that you struggle with, that, 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 that you don't like, that, that even that you've been hating and murdering, like, like, it wouldn't surprise me that God has like you right next door to them for the rest of your life for eternity in heaven. And he says something like this, you know, you didn't do a very good job on earth, but here's your chance. It's often easier to love those that aren't the closest to us, too. Love requires us to listen. Love requires us to drop our formed opinions about people. Love requires us to give them the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes love just requires us to listen. We're not very good listeners. Like, some of you are tuning me out right now and thinking, yeah, but Pastor Jim, let me tell you about this. Yeah, Jim, would you you'd like to say I ought to? I'll ought to you a few things. Like, th- th- there it is. 
Listen, I know men, I know what you're thinking. I'm a man. I read a bumper sticker online and it said this. My wife says, I never pay attention to what she says. Dot, 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 or something like that. See, I believe we can handle suggestions, but we can't handle ought to truths or people delivering those truths. That, you know, and, and, and so I believe if John got up and delivered this message to us today, like, like it was read to the first recipients of this letter, and they read that letter, and it's easy for us now to look at this and say, yeah, you're, you're probably right, Pastor Jim, but I'll listen to John, but I'm not going to listen to you. Are you kidding me? Like, because we have these formed opinions. And I got to believe that our brother John received much criticism from his own. And I got to believe on some level, like, oh, no, here comes a letter from John again. Get your steel toes on. Like, holy cow, would you stop it, John? Like, and I got to believe that there were some that didn't like receiving his letters. But John was concerned with truth. And he desired to see these people he loved live in such a way that reflected Christ. I have strong accountability, as does every other preaching pastor at Grace Community Church, as does every small group leader, as does every, every squadron leader, as does every remarkable woman leader, as does ev- every Bible study leader. We have an opportunity. We're supposed to. And, and, and the call that's been upon my life isn't an easy one. And I'm not saying that it is and isn't, and I'm okay with that. But the word of God tells me, as he told John in 2 Timothy 4 to preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. And then, and, and then Paul said this to Timothy, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. You know, you, 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 you and I love someone that encourages. encourages. Like, like, I can handle that. But as soon as someone starts to rebuke, as soon as someone starts to correct, When you have people like that in your life who've been called to do that, who have permission to do that, John is saying we need to listen to that. So he's doing it. It's like, here it is. You call yourself Christ follower and you're hating someone. Guess what? You're a murderer. You see, anytime we feel like we're being told what to do, we quickly try to find ways to remove that voice or that message. Because we are sure we can do it better. We don't like to be told what to do. It's a battle of pride. By the way, people don't get defensive because of what you are saying necessarily. But because of why they think you are saying it. Well, he's just saying that because he knows. And and he thinks he's better than me. And she thinks she's better than me. and, And because, you know, they just have this agenda. Like, and even though it's truth. People don't get defensive because of the truth, because of what you're saying, but it's often because of why they think you're saying it, because they formed opinions about you. Way too many Christians spend time and energy telling everyone else how they could do it, be doing it better than themselves. So John says, okay, in light of this, um, what are some ways that we can love? Like, 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 how can we love? Is it possible? So how, what are some ways that you hate? I gave you the list. Think about it. Are, are, are you delighting in pain? Are, are, are you shutting people out? Are you assuming the worst? Are you considering not agreeing with them? Are you keeping records of wrongs? Like, are you doing those things? And then he says this in verse 17. Okay, here's evidence of love. Like, verse 17, if anyone has material possessions... Um, that, like, is everyone in this room, including me. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in what? What's the word? Need, but has no what on them, pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Pity changes your schedule. Pity lightens your heart. Pity empties your wallet. Pity reduces your sleep. 
Pity reddens your eyes. Pity calluses your knees. Pity softens your heart. Pity is a deep-seated emotional concern or affectionate sympathy towards someone. Pity lets us respond to what we see. Let me give you an example. I received this uh, from a brother from Philadelphia, and I want to read it to you. He sent this to me in response to an encounter that he had with another brother or sister, and it's worth repeating. Because it's an example of lighting it up. Here's the word I received from a missionary that we, re- that we support here at Grace Community Church in Philadelphia. He said, Jim, just wanted to say how blessed and encouraged we were to randomly run into a man from your church at the rest stop in Ohio the other day. His name was Steve, and he said he was on his way to visit his mother and father in Maryland. I guess he was about in his mid-60s. I, we, he saw our group from Urban Hope coming into a rest stop And he stopped myself and Logan to ask us if he could pray for us. He said, you've been challenging the congregation to be light. And that he has been motivated to shine wherever he is. Praising God for the blessing of this brother. But as we were returning from a weary week, but spiritually energizing week of momentum. Thanks for the way God is using Grace Community to be a blessing to weary travelers in random places. I was very impressed that he even said he stayed around for church before he left to help his parents, need to meet an older guy who's retired who seems to have his priorities in life right. So how do we practically lay down our lives? How do we love? Well, we use our ears. We, we, we take time and energy to listen and show up and pray with people. Like, like, like we take time for someone to listen. We see someone distraught, and, and, and we listen. Like, we, we rearrange our schedules, and we set outside of our own schedules and our own, our own time and say, you know what? There, my heart feels this pain towards this person. I'm responding to it. So I listen. We use our ears and we respond with our ears. We become good listeners. We use our mouths, saying the hard thing in love sometimes, speaking truth with grace. We speak up on behalf of a sister or brother instead of speaking down on their behalf. We, 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 we speak up and give them a reference in the marketplace. We say, you know what? This person deserves a chance here because I've seen their life. We, we speak on their behalf in court. We see them on the other side of the world and we say, you know what? I need to do something for them. But we use our mouths and speak up in their defense instead of tearing them down. That's what Christ's Father is supposed to do for brothers and sisters. We use our hands. We open our hands and give generously, not calculated giving, but spontaneous. I love what Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's within your power to act. We give our resources in love because we have this pity. We see a need. We have so many possessions, material possessions, we need to respond instead of waiting for someone else to respond. We use our feet. Go the extra mile above your call of duty. You fly, you walk, you drive. You help someone get to grace on Sunday mornings when you see it come up at today at grace. Someone wants to worship with you on a Sunday morning. So you say, you know what? I got a vehicle. I live in Elkhart. They live in Elkhart. It would show love if I would pick them up and bring them to grace. And it might inconvenience me a little bit. But isn't that what a brother would do for a brother? truth of the matter is we will run 30 miles in exercise a week, but we won't walk across the street to show love to someone. Can I get one amen? We use our eyes. We become aware. Like we walk out, we don't shut the world out and think, oh, poor me, look at my life, look how horrible it is. And all that conversation is this incessant desire to tell everyone how miserable your life is. Like my life is miserable. It is horrible. It's hard. It's difficult. And all day long, our conversation are me, me, me. God says, open up your eyes and look at the world. We become aware of the needs. You might say, Pastor Jim, I have nothing to give. 
then maybe it means you take inventory of your spending and living and your schedule and you make time for what's important for God instead of what you think is important for you. But John is saying, real love sacrifices my schedule, my fun, my friends, my agenda to love another brother. I watched it happen this week. It was a beautiful thing to watch the church come together and pray on Wednesday night. Just beautiful. Just, it was like the church at its finest. Saw a need in Iraq, got brothers and sisters that need prayer. I watched the church come together and intercede. I heard people weeping and wailing and crying. It's like, that's a picture of love. It's like, and I met a dude on the way out. Like, he was standing in the foyer, and he said, you know what, Pastor Jim, I didn't want to come tonight. Like, like I saw that you had this special prayer meeting. He said, I was tired. I worked hard all day. And he said, I, I had a bad attitude, and I had, every, had all the bliss, basically. And he said, I, I really didn't want to come. He said, but I came because I felt like I could support my brothers and sisters. He said, once I entered that room, I know why I came. He said, I saw the love of God in a room, and he said, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he said, I left that room a better man than I was when I walked into that room. John is saying, take inventory and ask yourself this question. Are you shutting others out and saying things like, well, I don't want to do this and support them because of that or because of this and because of that. And John is saying, get rid of your because of and become active lovers of brothers and sisters. And he closes this out. Look what he says in 19. It's like, all right, John, I'm done. Like, with cow. This is how we know that we belong to truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to what one another? Love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's command of loving one another lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. The first time the Holy Spirit word appears and he's saying, in other words, the spirit confirms in our heart, gives us this peace and we have this rest assurance and confidence that we're listening to God. And when we listen to God, it fear flees, worry diminishes, personal condemnation departs and you become bold and free because you are living out love. There's freedom and peace in that. By the way, it also unlocks the hand of God when you go to before him in prayer. Like, dear God, can you do this? Dear God, can you do that? Dear God, dear God, dear God. It says we can go to him in confidence because we've been loving. And as we go to him in confidence in prayer, he hears our prayers and he acts upon them. Because, you know why? We should never demand more from God than we're willing to give ourselves to other people. There's always a direct connection with obedience and answers to our prayers. Why would God address our needs when we don't address the needs of others, John is saying? This is how we know, basically. Deeds, not just words. And the Holy Spirit confirms it with peace in every situation. It's like I've seen people going into the storm, in the storm, and coming out of the storm. And I've watched people in all three of those different scenarios walking in perfect peace because they have a relationship where they love God and they love others. So, how can we as a church let our light shine brightly? As I look back on the history of Grace Community Church, the 19 years that I've been here, there have always been defining moments where we have stood united. Like, there was always a time, when I look back, where, where this, this need or where the church linked arms and said, you're my brother, you're my sister, let's help other brothers and sisters. There have always been these defining moments where finally the church is united around a cause and a mission where we finally get rid of, I don't like this and I don't like that, and I don't like him and I don't like the way this changed and I don't like that. I, we've stripped ourselves of all these, these petty things I don't like and we actually become the church on mission. And there have been times where we have been so united and it's always been around a great cause. 
I'll never forget when 911 hit on our ground in New York City and watch our church in this community unite together around the cause. And I never forget as people ran back to the local church. And I'll never forget the wall that we constructed on Clinton Street, a prayer wall where people from all from this community came and wrote on that wall. It was like a mooring point of hope that we can pray, we can help this community. And it united us together. And we stripped ourselves of all these petty things that, uh, and hate and murder that has been in our lives. I'll never forget the chance we had that we had an opportunity to smuggle Bibles into China and, 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 and we could go from Hong Kong to China. We had a missionary come in and said, there's this underground church in China that have one page of scripture. And I remember this, seeing this and having compassion and pity and saying, oh my, we got to do something. And I remember forget assembling teams that, that took these Bibles, didn't know what was going to happen at the border. We got to get it to our brothers and sisters. And I'll never, I, I, I'll never forget my first time through. It was like, Holy cow, I lined up all my passions. It was physical. It was spiritual. It was emotional. I'll never forget the first time I got through. It was like, <gasps> praise God. And it united us because we were on mission instead of hating one another. I'll never forget the Sunday that we saw a need in our world that there were these orphan kids on streets and someone would be sold into human sex slavery and you got the mission. And, and on that Sunday morning, you gave enough to build two orphanages. And I'll never forget calling up the director of Asia's Hope and saying, not only did our church give for one, but they gave two. And, and he put like 46 exclamation points on this. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. We were united around a cause and a purpose and we set aside all our differences and what we didn't like about grace. I'll never forget when Napanee tornado hit on our campus and we're in our office and like I had this message ready and it was like, 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 like it was like Wednesday or Thursday and we're sitting as a staff like, this is, I remember saying, this is crazy. Like, don't we come every Sunday and my, my goal is to instruct the church to know how to, to live out their faith. Like, like, so this Sunday we have another message on this, how you live out your faith and our brothers and sisters have just been stricken with a tornado. We shut down the doors in all three services and we sent you out five, 600 people in your blue shirts and, and you helped your brother. We united around a cause. I'll never forget the time Hurricane Katrina hit on our doorstep and had a message together. And it's like, okay, get rid of that one, bam. And I gave a message on, hey, how can we respond to Katrina? And I'll never forget the end of the service. I said, who wants to be part of this? And we had an offering. An offering came that supported. We sent two teams in. We didn't know what we were going. We didn't know we'd be dragging out dead bodies. And we didn't know whether we would get gas. And it was fun to be part of that first team going in. And, and with these men and women and the second team following us up, we had chainsaws. I mean, we were, we were ready just to go wherever God, we even had gasoline in the back of vehicles. I remember Ben Moser's truck because we weren't sure we were going to gas and he had a big uh, container of gas that we could get there. And, I, and, and, and going to people and meeting people, I remember meeting a lady who said, you're our angel. You're the blue angels I've been praying for. I'll never forget the response of this church, our church, Grace Community Church, when we said we're going to go on the Gulf Coast and we're going to bring back displaced people. And many of you were willing to open your home. We had couples and families that were opening up their house. We were going to bring back people to northern Indiana. Now, that takes some convincing to come from the south to northern Indiana. But in any case, we were ready to bring in. We had, we had some of our people, Dick and Mary Shepherd, that opened up their basement and turned into a clove place where people were bringing their clothes in case these people needed clothes. And, and we had an individual donate $5,000. Say, you know what? I, 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 I'll support the bus. Came and wrote a check for $5,000. Say, here's the bus. And this beautiful cardinal bus or similar to a cardinal, we drove down there with, with couples ready to pick up. And you know what happened? We brought one man back, but that $5,000 was worth one man. I'll never forget the time that tsunami hit in Japan. Grace Community Church had its finest moments. We found out that we could go with uh, souls for souls, and I said, they need shoes. And, And so one Sunday, you gave the shoes that you walked into church with. People left without their shoes. And then all through the week, you give shoes after shoes. And we put tracks inside of the shoes that we were able to get from New Paris, a missionary press. And, and so we packed it up, and it was so many shoes. They were piled out there, and it was all, basically filled up a tractor and trail. We were united on a cause, and we stripped ourselves of all the junk. And there's been so many other things like that. So this week, as I'm prepping for this message, and by the way, as, as we were planning for this book of 1 John, it was like, 
okay, this would be a good book to go through. Like, felt led by God, this is where we need to go as a church, and we need to learn how to love each other. And, and to be quite frank, if I was picking a message, like, if I could just go, that's the one. Like, I would preach from right here about our concern in Iraq. Like, like if I could say, God, if there's any message, this would be the one. And I would go to 1 John chapter 3, and I would read this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then I would read this, probably, very loudly. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? And by the way, that's the very text that God had lined up for this time, for such a time as this. Okay, you didn't get that connection, but I did. So what's our response? Like we just keep watching these videos and we just, you know, just, I hope it gets better. This is our chance to be the church and to be the hope of the world. Someone recently said, what's the government going to do? I said, "I'm I'm not running the government. I'm in charge of the local church and the local church can be the hope of the world. I'm not waiting on the government. I was sitting in my office in tears and just got a hold of Ted. And I said, Ted, we got to do something. We got, we can't just like, I can't handle any more of this. Like, I just got compassion and pity for these. And I, I can't, this, this is too much. Seeing these deaths and murders. And so Ted jumped on the phone. And by the way, he has contacts all over the world. Before he came to work with us, he was in work with the mission organization. He's been all over the continent. He's led mission teams a very variety of places, and God had made him for such a time as this. And he got on the horn and said, okay, Jim, I'm going to go after him. I mean, he was feverishly looking for ways to get support to these brothers and sisters. And he came across this lady who has citizenship in Canada and Iraq, who has son-in-law or brother or daughter-in-law who he's a pastor in Iraq who has all these refugees fleeing to him who is overwhelmed as every other pastor is in this region because people are asking this question where's God like where's God and so Ted set up an interview and a Skype interview with this lady he had never seen before and he began to unfold said, hey, we are Grace Community Church. We are your brothers and sisters. We would love to help. How can we help? She began to unfold the tragic things that are happening in Iraq. Shared that we can help by giving, supplying food and water and resources to Iraqi brothers and sisters, and even some that aren't brothers and sisters, because we can be missional about this too. Can't we just help the world? She said, for $80 for three days, they'll survive. And I start thinking, well, if we wait too long, someone's not going to make it. So we decided that we would do something as a church. Love forces us to do something. So we will take an offering today at the end of this service. And we will provide you an opportunity post-service to go online to the Grace website and hit on this link. And if you have friends and brothers and sisters that would like to give too, this money will be wired directly 100%. 100%. 100% of the resources collected will go to help our brothers and sisters in Iraq. 100%. And these donations will be used to both continue to supply of practical material goods and, if feasible, and as God directs, the mobilization of a selected team from grace to minister to those affected by the ISIS movement in northern Iraq. So, we're going to take an offering here and. We're going to give you a chance this week to give online, and next week we're going to take an offering. This is our chance. 
This is our defining moment as a church to rally around a cause that says, I will love my brother and sister. Would you stand with me in prayer? Jesus, we love you. We're grateful that we have this chance. I pray, God, that we would dig deep, real deep. I pray that we would sacrifice for our brothers and sisters. And even as the buckets are placed at the front of each auditorium as we sing this song, I pray, God, that we would give generously. And I pray we would continue to give this week and share this link. And we would give again next week. And I pray, God, when these brothers and sisters in Iraq receive this money, they would know that God is real. And there are brothers and sisters in this world that love them. In Jesus' name, amen.